It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 150, Elijah Goes to Heaven. Welcome back to the Message to Kings podcast. This is your host, Brett Heaston. All right, so we are back online. Thanks, everyone, for your patience. We are 90% done with some house renovations that we did, and we moved into a new house in Issaquah, Washington, 20 or so miles east of Seattle. It was good to hear from some biblical history fans out there during the break. One particular listener sent some encouragement. I thought I would pass it on to everyone. Here's an email from listener Josh Taylor of Oregon. I wanted to send a message thanking you for taking all the time and effort to put together this podcast. It's been very informative and super entertaining to listen to. I've recently become very fond of biblical history. As an officer in the U.S. Army, I've especially enjoyed the stories of ancient battles from a biblical standpoint. I found your podcast this past May, and I've since listened to all of them to current. I look forward to many, many more to come. May the Lord God be with you and bestow blessings on your house. So shout out to Josh Taylor of Oregon. And Josh, may the Lord bless you and be with you and cover you in his mighty hand and use you in ways we can hardly fathom. May you be strong and courageous and fulfill all that God has for you. Thanks to Josh and all the listeners out there for your encouragement and assistance with Message to Kings. If the life of Elijah hasn't been spectacular enough, the end of his life is questionably going to be the most incredible of all. In this episode, he's going to experience something absolutely spectacular. So there's a bit of background here, so let's get going. Understand at this point, Elijah has an entire group of followers now. Elisha is his number one disciple. Elisha is charismatic and good with people, and appears to have excellent communication skills, unlike Elijah, who is country rough and gruff. But he has been refined by his own disciple on how to speak to others, and he has learned the mercy of God at Mount Horeb. Elijah is learning to be a people person from Elisha, while Elisha is learning the power of God and how to be a prophet like Elijah. So take note, it's been many, many years at this point from when Elisha was called, and Elisha hasn't done a single major miracle yet, so he's getting anxious to walk into his calling. In the quiet times, could it be Elisha tried to perform miracles just to perform miracles, and he asked himself over and over, where is the power? Where is the God of power? I don't see him. Internal doubts arise within him. Elisha hasn't seen a major miracle. When will he? 
Elijah is the legend, the greatest prophet since Moses to walk the land of Israel. Everyone, I mean, everyone knows of this guy and reveres him. It was Ahab who even evangelized his power, who spoke of his power when he beseeched kings to surrender him. Even kings, even his enemies, speak of his power and spread the word of his giftings. This group of prophets also included Micah at one point. There's enough of them that they will be building houses and buildings in the future. Samuel had a school of prophets in his day. Elijah and Elisha will as well. It's incredible to consider how there was so many prophets just circling around at this time. In the last episode, when Elijah was on the hill and he brought down fire, there could have been 50 people with him, all of his prophet friends with him, but we don't know for sure. We learn in this scene that there was 50 for sure in the school of prophets, and there could be for sure many more, way more. I mean, what do you learn in a school of prophets in this day? I mean, these are old school, Old Testament guys living in the thick of it in the time of Jezebel. To answer the question, we get a glimpse of some of the miracles coming soon, purifying the elements, causing metal to float, healings, resurrections, visions, and blinding of enemies. I think it's so cool we get pictures of the small miracles, like the axe head, just to get a glimpse of the everyday stuff, the axe head that floats. There's so much, and we try to keep up the context of what it is. A schooling of the future generation and the gift of prophecy by the fire prophets, Elijah and Elisha. So Elijah knows he's going to die, and everyone knows it. We've got to do a bit of reading between the lines, but we get the feel Elijah has told all of his disciples he's going to die. And somewhere along the lines, he's probably made it clear that when he, when he leaves... Someone, if they ask for it, could have his giftings, an anointing, and possibly a double anointing. In order to receive this impartation, they would have to be with them at the point of departure. I know it sounds mysterious. Well, this is Elijah. His whole life is mysterious. So this is my take. Elijah's told everyone, and he even put in the word, that they should ignore him if he decides to be a jerk at the end and tell people or disciples to not be with him. So, be with him and receive the gift at departure, but also understand he's going to discourage you as well. So, there's different ways to read into this, but it truly appears this is how he's prepared everybody. Alright, so the journey begins in Gilgal. This is probably where Elijah pulled Elisha aside and gave him the equivalent of three manila packets of sealed orders for the future generation. Number one, the instructions for the anointing of Haziel to become the next king of Aram. This is actually the instructions were given to Elijah on Mount Horeb. Now he's giving them to Elisha to fulfill. And the same with the next one. Number two, instructions for the anointing of Jehu, the previous bodyguard of Ahab and now general in his son's army, to become the next king of northern Israel. Number three, shocker as it is, instructions and the equivalent of a letter rebuking Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, for being a bad king. Yep, that's what it is. A rebuke to the future king even before Jehoshaphat dies. Elijah, by prophecy, knows how bad this guy is going to be as a king. His gift is insane. 
He knows the future, and he appoints future kings. He even leaves a sealed prophetic rebuke to be delivered after his death to a future king who becomes king after his father's death. Crazy. It's just, this guy is so gifted. Elisha, in the fear of the Lord, feeling the weight of this responsibility, receives these assignments, and then Elijah says, Now I must go to Jericho. You stay here. Elisha remembers and knowing what's about to happen, knows that Elijah would try some stunt before his death, and he refuses him. As surely as the Lord lives, and you live, I will not leave you. So this is where it starts to get a bit humorous. Another prophet comes to Elisha prior to going to Jericho and says, Don't you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. In my words, I know that, quit telling me. Then Elijah said, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. This is his second time. What Elijah is doing is trying to get Elisha to reconsider. He knows the cost of becoming a prophet and carrying his mantle, and he doesn't wish it on anyone. Yet Elisha isn't going to ignore his call and opportunity to walk into his purpose. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Then another prophet comes to Elisha. Don't you know the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Elisha's response, I know that. Quit telling me. Almost trying to offend him, giving him enough chances to back out, knowing the cost of carrying the mantle of God. Elijah tries a third time to dissuade Elisha. Then Elijah said, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Three chances to back out and breaking through an intentional barrier placed in front of him. Elisha remains faithful to the call. Are you kidding? He he didn't want to miss what was about to happen. And who would? Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. So the fifty prophets stood at a distance. Everyone knew something outrageous was going to happen. Elijah took off his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Those fifty men must have stood in awe. All right, so we've got to slow slow it down here. Once they cross... The Jordan returns to normal, and all is quiet on the other side. The prophet stands speechless on the far side of the bank as Elijah and Elisha top a hill out of view. You hear the sound of water, there's birds chirping, and altogether peaceful sounds. Honestly, I can't believe this scene hasn't been created in a movie. It's so cinematic. Total peace is on the land. It's quiet. The sounds of nature are present. The two men converse. Elijah begins the conversation. Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? It's just a casual, casual conversation between two friends. Might as well have been done over a cup of coffee. His response, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. 
Elisha replied. You have asked for a difficult thing, Elijah says. Yet if you see when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. Two buddies casually referencing their request. One who is about to leap into history, the other is about to claim it. Listen to the birds, the trickling of the river over the hill. Birds chirping, maybe a sound of nature all over, a bunny in the weeds, a bird flying overhead. Altogether peaceful moment over the rise of the Jordan until all heaven breaks loose. Out of nowhere, I mean absolutely nowhere, heaven breaks loose. Instantly out of nowhere, bright daytime sunshine was ultra-lighted with heaven's glory. Instantly a chariot of light rides toward them. Surrounded by horses of fire, the sound must have been overwhelming with the chariots and horses of fire riding between them. Now imagine standing in the NFL stadium at the loudest moment, then take the audible level of an airport tarmac. Turn every light in the place on your eyes, and this is what it was like for Elisha. And he's supposed to watch Elijah. Unbelievable. Chariots and horses screaming at them. Blinded by the light, overwhelmed spiritually, the sounds, the wind of the horses and all, while trying to keep his eye on his master, who is separated from him by huge angelic creatures of light and horses and chariots flying by and between them. Then a micro-tornado hovers over them, creating insane winds as Elisha's eyes were nearly seared with the light, his ears ringing from the rushing horses, and now the wind nearly forcing him to the ground. Elisha responds, overwhelmed to the height of his senses, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Oh my, this is unbelievable. Elisha, completely overwhelmed, knowing the command to keep his eye on Elijah, even as a microburst of micro-tornado comes down and vacuums Elijah into the atmosphere. Somehow, I mean somehow, Elisha keeps an eye on his master. A few moments pass. Elisha just stands motionless, staring into the atmosphere, looking up as a cloak glided itself down to earth. Where Elisha picks up the cloak, the sound of the birds, that bunny in the bush, could be heard again. The trickle of the river, the bird overhead. Elisha knew his father or mentor had been swept to heaven. There was no mourning for him. He had graduated to heaven. His mind swirled from thought to thought as he held the anointed mantle of his master. He knew the day would come, but like this, nature acting like nothing had just happened, with the river flowing, the bunny in the grass, the bird singing as he walked back to the Jordan. He topped the ridge and wondering, just wondering, if he would truly be able to walk in Elijah's power, for he had seen so little of it up to this moment. Wondering where the power was for all these years, when he had walked with Elijah, no major miracles in all of these years, he knew it was there, but it seemed nothing really happened like it was supposed to. He believed, no doubt he believed, but he always wondered about the power and the anointing. 
Why had he not seen it? He arrived at the Jordan, and he placed a demand upon this anointing that was gifted to him. He took the mantle, slapped the water with it, and he said, Where is the God of Elijah? When the mantle touched the Jordan, the waters parted to his great joy and amazement. When the fifty prophets saw the waters part, everyone knew that the mantle of Elijah now rested on Elisha, and they bowed down before him and honored him. Not to have a powerful enough day, Elisha ventured into Jericho, and from there the people complained the water was bad in Jericho, and the land was unproductive. Elisha, doing something that is in line with Jesus' statement that we are the salt of the earth, he asked for a bowl of salt and threw the salt in the water and prophesied the water will never cause death or make the land unproductive again. Immediately the water was purified and a city prospered from this day forward. I find it interesting how Elisha operates in the cities while Elijah hid away in the countryside. Elisha hides in plain sight. From here... He goes to Bethel, and let's note at this time, Bethel is the home of the shrine of Jeroboam in an idol worship center. I find it fascinating that he goes here, purposely going after the high place of Bethel. Mount Carmel was dismantled as a principality. Now it's time for Bethel. Now we don't have a commentary on what he did in Bethel. Most likely he prayed an end to demonic powers in this location. You know, he did the prophet thing, and eventually he will have a school of prophets in this location, proving his trip here was quite successful. As he was in Bethel, boys came out to meet him and jeered him. They called him Baldy. I guess he was bald? So we've got to know that these boys could possibly just be misbehaving boys, but they could potentially have been shrine prostitutes or eunuchs serving the king of northern Israel. Yep. Jezebel and Ahab introduced eunuchs into their courts and service. Why not be like all the other kingdoms, right? So these youth were probably sent to ward off Elisha. In a time when prophets called down fire from heaven, why not call upon bears to kill these boys? Yep, that's what happened. 2 Kings 2.24 states two bears were called upon by a curse of Elisha to come out of the woods where it mauled 42 boys. So he called upon bears to defend him. He didn't call down fire. Then we called upon bears. Quite interesting, this Elisha. Elisha lacked mercy on these boys, which is quite uncharacteristic of him. Elijah and even Micah had to learn the mercy of God that trumps judgment. Elisha will learn this as well. His treatment here of the boys shows he has great power. But to have bears kill boys for jeering him is quite harsh. He will learn the mercy of God and exercise it quite wisely in the future. But calling down a curse for bears to maul boys. Let's just say Elisha probably regretted this one. Or there's additional context we don't have record of. From here, Elisha goes to Mount Carmel to dwell a bit in the place of his father's great testimony. From here, we park Elisha at Mount Carmel until kings and prophets collide in the next episode. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, so what becomes of Elijah after his scene? I mean, he actually doesn't die, which puts him in the same place as Enoch at the beginning, as one of only two people that never die. 
Not since Samuel have we seen such prophecy. Not since Moses have we seen such power. Not since Enoch did we see someone skip even death. The man who skipped out on death will experience fruit until he truly dies. Elijah's story is not going to end here. Jesus will have correspondence with Moses and Elijah at the Mount of Transfiguration. And somehow he arrives at this mountaintop to talk with Jesus and then disappears. Further at the end of the age, there will be two witnesses who prophesy and testify of the end of the age and preach in Jerusalem for many, many days in Revelation 11. All the world will see their preaching and their death and their resurrection. Scholars have debated forever on who these two guys are. There's two primary theories, and Elijah makes both lists. Scholars suggest they are Elijah and Moses, mainly because of the transfiguration scene, or Elijah and Enoch because they never actually died, and they were allowed to return to prophesy and be martyred. Their death was delayed until the end of the age. Defying the powers that be, Elijah lived a life that was so powerful. We cannot help but marvel at this guy who lived such a life with such powerful living testimonies. Gonna miss this second character of this age who disappears from us, who somehow even skipped out on death. Elijah the prophet of fire leaves a successor whose gifts and skills and fruit will double his own, but the shock factor's gone. We now expect great miracles from Elisha, and he will deliver. Elijah was the pioneer out of the sounds of nothingness. He was the man who confronted astounding darkness with a powerful word with wonders that astounded and marveled us. We saw him arrive on the scene prophesying the destruction of the economic system that fed the empire of a wicked king and queen that killed the Lord's prophets. He was fed by birds. He multiplied flour. He raised a boy from the dead. He ended the famine and called on fire from heaven. He outran a chariot. He encountered God at Horeb. He anointed Elisha as his successor. He called down fire from heaven on a hundred men and their captains. He prophesied and left instructions to rebuke the future king of Judah, to anoint the next king of Aram and northern Israel. And he went up to heaven in a spectacular fashion. What a life. I mean, what a life this guy lived. The biblical account is so rich. I never felt like I had to pull from Jewish traditional sources because there is such rich biblical detail on Elijah. These Jewish traditional resources are absolutely crammed with legends and stories. I actually couldn't believe how many there were. Just to add a few, some of the stories have a bull at Mount Carmel speaking, and other crazy accounts. But it just wasn't necessary with an account like Elijah, because there's so much color already in his story. But there is something important here. Elijah was and revered by Jewish scholars, possibly more than even Moses by some. Check out this messianic prophecy spoken hundreds of years later. And just to add some weight to it, these last two verses are the very last two verses in the entire Old Testament. Malachi 4, 5. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day the Lord comes. He will turn the heart of the parents to their children 
and the heart of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. The prophet Elijah in this case will be John the Baptist, and the total destruction will be the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. John the Baptist will be born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is confronted by the angel Gabriel, and he is told he is going to have a child, and his name will be John. And this is what it says about his calling. Luke 1.16 He will bring many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I believe this is the greatest description of the life of Elijah, that he brought the fathers back to their sons and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. In a generation and country that was destitute of the ways of God, God sent Elijah to show his power and his authority and his grace. Coming back in a time when faith in God became twisted, the spirit of Elijah will come leading the way for the Messiah and at the end of the age, when darkness covers the earth like a blanket, Elijah will most likely return to confront the rising power of the spirit of Jezebel again. I'm so thankful that God used Elijah to show his power and to confront the Ahabs and Jezebels of the world and to bring a nation back to God. May we never forget the great power that was on display at this time and that the prophet who called down fire three times and the man who went to heaven, not in the chariots and fiery chariots of God, but in the whirlwind of God, just as wild as his arrival was on the world scene, just as incredible was his departure, sent from heaven to show man the power of God, which his job was done. He was pulled back to heaven for a man of his, this faithfulness would be used again of God, even at the end of the age. It is stated in the New Testament that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the children to their parents. And this is what Elijah did in a time of defilement in a culture that was violently taking God out of its culture. Elijah showed up in power to defy the powers that be, to demonstrate the power of God. In a time when prophets were put to death, Elijah showed and confronted the powers that be and overthrew their principalities and confronted the people and in their face with his most famous line, how long will you waver between two opinions? If it is Baal, serve him. If it is God, serve him. The people's response was silence. But when Elijah prayed and when Elijah showed on the scene with power, fire fell from heaven. And there was no doubt as to what the people believed, turning the parents to the children and the ungodly to the voice of the wise. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Message to Kings. 
Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.